are listening to Beyond the Walls podcast with writer and speaker Ben James. Welcome back to Beyond the Walls podcast. My name's Ben James. I'm your host. And standing across from me, new studio, first time in here. Well, the other episode was recorded in here also, but hey, since we're recording multiple episodes at the same time, still your first time in here, Aaron Baldwin, <laughs> how are you, sir? Doing well, sir. It's uh, it's late at night, and I get to be with your enjoyable self, so it's a good night to to be podcasting. Absolutely, absolutely. So we are going into episode three of our Biblical Mysteries Ark of the Covenant series. Episode three of what appears to be an innumerable amount of episodes <laughs> in this Ark of the Covenant thing, because the more that we unearth, the more that we unearth with this, the more that we feel like we are, we just, we need to unpack this stuff. Yeah. Again, I made the reference in the last podcast of being addicted to context, made the Dan Carlin reference. Mm-hmm. And we're not on that level. But the one thing that we are learning as we podcast together is that the more that we are becoming, we're developing that addiction to context. And I just, I feel like it would be a disservice to, maybe to no one else but us. Sure. To throw so many things out there without giving at least a decent amount of context as to why we're talking about them. And we did that with the purposes. If this is your first episode listening to this Ark of the Covenant series, go back and most definitely listen to the first one. Yeah. The the second one, it's good. (laughs) I enjoyed it. That's one of the more fun times that we've had recording in the the podcast studio. I don't know if it's absolutely necessary to understanding the remainder of this biblical mystery. I do believe it gives some a little bit of insight as to why that we're talking about Mm -hmm. this so much. So definitely go back and listen to the first one. Uh, If for no other reason than to give us more downloads, go ahead and listen to the second (laughs) episode of the Ark of the Covenant series. But we are going to be talking this evening about a couple, and it's basically going to be two or maybe three. That's why we're saying that we're just not even trying to put a number on the amount of episodes right now is because there's there's several theories that we want to look at, and then we are going to be doing a uh, our own theories mm-hmm. episode of telling you what you know Aaron and I think is our opinion on all of these different theories. But we're we're going to take our time through these. Um, and we're going to unpack them, and we're going to give you context for them, and, and we're just going to approach it that way. So the first one that we're going to be looking at is we're going to be looking at Tannis. Now, I know that Tannis, I covered that in the first one from the biblical explanation, and I did that simply because it it's kind of both worlds. And I'm not going to cover the biblical aspect of it because I did that within the first podcast episode. But the reason we're doing it from a pop pop culture standpoint is the one and the only Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's where Tannis comes from. And and folks, side sidebar here, if you enjoy fictional podcasts, like storytelling podcast, um, there is a podcast out there called Tannis. 
Uh, it's an extremely entertaining podcast. It goes crazy train off the rail <laughs> a couple different times, but it's super entertaining. And if you're into conspiracy, uh, maybe a little bit of paranormal, unexplained type stuff, go check out Tannis. That's that's a pretty fun one. But Aaron, let's 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 dive into Tannis. So here's the thing: we you're a little bit younger than I am, yes, sir. But we both grew up in the generation of the Indiana Jones mm-hmm. movies. He that, was my hero. Yeah. I actually was him for Halloween two years in a row. Very nice. That was last year and the year before, yeah, right? Uh, yes, sir. Okay. Very much so. Right. Had the whip, had the hat, had the jacket, had the fake mustache. That's fantastic. It was, it was wonderful. That's I wanted fantastic. to be uh, Harrison Ford so very badly. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about what what you drew from the Raiders of the Lost Ark movie. Well, the Nazis. Um, I, you know, I don't want to jump in with that without, you know, kind of take, coming back. They're... The Nazis, I think, were you know such a fascinating thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that's you need to preface that I know, but that's I think it's one of those like how does this happen? How does how does this create a world war? And you know when you're a kid, you're seeing all the symbolism and the imagery that they brought. It was like otherworldly, you know. I grew up in the time of GI Joe, and you mm-hmm. had Cobra with their symbolism, and yeah. GI Joe, the All American, you know, that type of stuff. The thought that there is this super weapon that is out there to be found, mm-hmm. you know, and I think maybe the United States found it with the atomic weaponry that we come across yeah. and and invent. But the idea that there's a supernatural super weapon, the the God piece, so to speak, it ties kind yes. of two worlds together. There, it really does, man. You know, and that, and if you're into Nazi Nazi history, Nazi weapon technology, and yeah. what they were going after, um, just the first thing that comes to my mind is go listen to a podcast called Astonishing Legends. They have two parts yep. on a series called The Nazi Bell. Yep, uh, that Scott Philbrook, Forrest Burgess. You can find them out on Twitter. Um, you know, you, they're they're missing some some vowels in their astonishing <laughs> legends name, but just just search them out. Search that podcast out if you're into that Nazi bell. It's fantastic, right? But, and you know, as I got older and realized that the Nazis were part of the occult, and there was some validity in the fact that they were probably out doing these types of things. And I think that when you see it on the big screen. And they do find something, Ark of the Covenant related, maybe even the Ark of the Covenant in the movie, and it unleashes its power and all the faces melt off the people. You're sitting there thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, you know, what is this weapon? What what has been unleashed? Is it something? I don't know. There was just so much to it, Ben. You know, the being underground, being with, the, you know, Indiana hates all the snakes, and there's all oh, this. Dude, that, no, I'm, I'm not a snake fan, and that haunted me. Oh, absolutely. Me too. I had snake me. nightmares oh. for years. The thing that they put in the base of the pyramid, that the eye, the light shines through it. I think all of us as kids hoped for that X marks the spot moment. Yeah. That we were the Goonies, that we walked in and found One-Eyed Willie's map, that we were Indiana Jones and we we went with our bag of sand and we traded out the bag of sand for the idol. I mean, 
I think that there's some part of all of us that have that adventure spirit. And maybe it's just me and the time that we grew up with all these fascinating films. And, you know, I, I grew up reading Where the Red Fern Grows and Old Yeller and, and, and not just books about dogs dying, terrible deaths and crying over them. <laughs> White Fang. Yeah. I'll put another one out there for you. Oh, Jack London. Yeah, Good no, stuff. but I mean, yeah. like, it was always about adventure. It was always about, you know, the Hardy Boys, uh, mm-hmm. Swiss Family Robinson. I mean, it was these ideas that we're a part of this world and it's meant to be explored. And I think that the mythos of Indiana Jones is adventure. And I think that the mythos of the Ark of the Covenant mm-hmm. is a constant adventure of man to solve this riddle. Yeah, and, and I think maybe for me that that's, that wraps it all up into that yeah. nice well, I, and tidy bow it, thing. Yeah, I think that it, if nothing else, you know, because that's the Ark of the Covenant obviously was not new. The search no. of the Ark of the Covenant was not no. new. But that really just took a generation who maybe really wasn't that educated sure, uh, or that aware of the Ark of the Covenant and all of its, you know, goings on with it. And it, it took them and it gave them a curiosity that uh, about things like that, right, things that, that couldn't be explained. <laughs> well, I think, you know, you pointed out in that last uh, podcast that we did, it's not something that's bantered about in Sunday school. Right. It's something that's mentioned, you know, crossing the Jericho or the Jordan River and mm-hmm. saying, walking around the walls of Jericho. Uh, you know, we sing the songs when we're kids and we talk about these things, but there's you're not teaching on the power of the Ark of the Covenant. And so this fascinating idea that there's this thing out there that we know now is, you know, the mercy seat of God, the the holy of holies, the the be all end all of Jewish religious religiosity. Yeah. And it's out there for the finders keepers type idea. Yeah. yeah and that's, <laughs> that's it. First come first serve. Gosh, kind of that's thing. a kind of a crazy idea. Yeah. So the premise mm-hmm. of Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark is that when you get down, I mean, I, I mentioned in the first episode, there's this scene where they're in the university in one of the big, uh, almost like library study hall type things, and you have Indiana, you have Marcus Brody, you have a couple other gentlemen in there, and they begin to talk about the Ark of the Covenant. Mm-hmm. It begins to give the history of Shashank and the you know the biblical references, and then he begins to talk about the Well of Souls and the the putting of the emblem just on a staff that's just a certain sure. height. And, and, and ladies and gentlemen, you can see the hands are going everywhere here as I'm talking <laughs> about this. It's giving marks and everything, but there would be a light that would shine through. And it would reveal. Light. Yeah, it would reveal the location. Uh, and the, the way the screenplay is written for Raiders of the Lost Ark is it's located in Tanis. It's located in Tanis, Egypt. So that's that's kind of where we're going with this one. Again, addicted to context here. Mm-hmm. Let's give you a little bit of a history of Tanis. The treasures found in the, quote-unquote, and I'm air-quoting over here, uh-huh. the lost city of Tanis rivals those of King Tutankhamun's, the, the treasures that they found in his. And we'll get to his his discovery. I'll, I'm, I'm wanting you to talk about that here in just a little bit. Um, but yet for more than six decades, the riches from this ruler's tombs 
had remained largely unknown. Uh, many who now know of Tannis at all remember it as the city portrayed in mm-hmm. Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. In the famous film, the city was buried by a catastrophic ancient sandstorm and rediscovered by the Nazis. I mean, who else is going to yeah. discover it? You know, Searching for the Ark of the Covenant. In reality, the Ark was never hidden in Tannis. The sandstorm didn't ha- happen, and the Nazis never battled Indiana Jones in the site ruins. But the true tale of Tannis is also fit for the silver screen. Uh, Tanis has been known by many names. The ancient Egyptians called it Janet. Um, here is a beautiful part of the English language here. It's called Janet, but there's a D on the front of it. It's capital D, Janet. Like Django and Chain. Yeah. Yeah, and I even I even went into like some translating, some pronunciations <laughs> because I'm like Janet or you know, <laughs> no Janet, <laughs> it's Janet. <Yeah. laughs> and uh, the Old Testament refers to the site as Zoan, uh, and today it's called something that I'm not even going to attempt to try to say. <laughs> this site's in the Nile Delta, northeast of Cairo. It was the capital of the 21st and 22nd dynasties uh, during the reign of Tanite of the Tanite kings in Egypt's third intermediate period. Uh, and, and the long and short, there's so much more on here. And, and if you're interested in this stuff, I, I definitely, just a simple Google search mm-hmm. will reveal most of this. Uh, but it was basically, uh, it was lost. Not lost, but it was just not known about. Uh, but sure. in 1939, a French archaeologist named Pierre Monette brought Tannis back into the 20th century after nearly a dozen excavations. He unearthed a royal tomb complex that included three intact and undisturbed burial chambers. Uh, the tombs held dazzling funeral treasures such as golden mask, coffins of silver, and elaborate sarcophagi. Other precious items included bracelets, necklace, pendants, tableware, and amulets. Statues, Vases, jars that filled the tomb, and all part of an array that still bears witness after thousands of years to the power and the wealth of Tannis's rulers. Now, here's where it comes in. Um, Shashank, who is mm-hmm. Shashank the second, who is the the son basically of Shishak, which it's a play on names there. Bible Shishak. Egypt's history, Shishak. To some, Shishak overthrew Jerusalem, took the ark, brought it back. It's a little bit of a stretch, but what they're saying is is that the ark made it back to Tanis, and that amongst all of these great treasures that were found that we just talked about here in the early 1900s was an unnamed treasure and artifact. Okay. Anyone care to guess what it might have been? Ark of the Covenant? Ding, we have a winner. Jim, show him what he's won. <laughs> so that's that's where we're at with Tannis. Again, great screenplay. Sure. Great fictional concept. Doesn't hold up really historically at all. Just because one of the things that I picked apart was in the first episode of this is Shishak or Shashank in even his own personal journals. Number one mentions nothing of the Ark of the Covenant. 
which I think is a significant thing that if I am recording my life's history and my legacy that I'm that I'm leaving out, Ark of Covenant. Yeah, you know, that's something. I'll write that, that down. That's something I'm mentioning, but to go a step beyond that, in his own personal records, he doesn't even really mention going near Jerusalem. So th- there's a couple flaws there in the problem, but I think that what that stemmed from was basically this huge treasure find mm-hmm. that had been undocumented, unspoiled for who knows how long. Right. It's got to be there. It's yeah. got to be there. But like I said, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time there because we we mentioned King Tutankhamun mm-hmm. and how the findings here in Tanis rivaled that of King Tut's tomb. So Aaron, talk to us a little bit about King Tut. All right. From an article here that I found earlier today in 1922 in the Egyptian Valley of the Kings, the tomb of Tutankhamun was opened by Howard Carter and Lord Carnivon. Among the artifacts was a processional ark listed as Shrine 261, the Anubis Shrine. Almost immediately after publication of the photographs of the sensational archaeological find, some claimed that the Anubis Shrine could be the Ark of the Covenant. Now, why Tutankhamun's a minor pharaoh, mm-hmm. the importance of his tomb is it's the first one that was found intact. Yeah. Carter makes the find. Uh, my favorite picture from this entire thing, and if you ever want to see a really cool picture and just the amount of angst that if you could have imagined is when you break open the seal and you descend into the first portion of the tomb complex and the ties are still binding the door shut. And just how, I mean, if you're Howard Carter and you've been all over the Valley of the Kings, and you've seen these disturbed tombs that have been raided, and you know, you're sitting there going, Gosh, I wish I could have seen what Seti the First mm-hmm. looked like instead of just seeing the remnants, what's been left. Yeah. And I am standing outside Tutankhamun's unopened, undisturbed, still sealed. I, I, I just can't, I can't fathom. So, that. so let me ask you this. You're far better educated oh, in, in, in the realm of, of Tutankhamun's <laughs> Right. Tomb. I, I, I actually know. teach this subject right. no, a little bit. I'm not yes. going to inflate your ego. No, I, no I, believe me, I don't know a lot of it. It's just this is kind of something I do teach. I, I've had to teach a lot of right. it. So. But as I'm sitting here listening to you, I'm trying to put myself into Carter's shoes. No, I can't. I and mean, the, it, first, the first thing that I'm thinking is, is the anxiousness Mm-hmm. That I'm feeling the nervousness, oh, the gosh. excitement, all of this wrapped up into one, a sealed tomb. Yes, that I am getting ready to be the first, and first entering. <laughs> what? Here's where my mind goes yes. though. I'm immediately going to become concerned about what kind of un- Egyptian curse sure. am I getting ready to loose on this? Because I go to Brendan Fraser and the Mummy, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and just like the, you know, the Book of the Dead, you right. know. So I I don't know how much how much. Uh, Hollywood that is, or how much of a reality that really dealing with well, these Egyptian curses? Interestingly be. enough, Carnivon, the Lord, he actually does pass relatively close to finding what and seeing what's in Tut's tomb. Mm-hmm. But Carter lives a pretty lengthy life after the fact. But actually there was a, I don't know if we call him a child, it was a little, 
in his early, late teens, early 20s, I'm not exactly sure of the man's age, but a, a local Egyptian man who was a part of the project working, and he is put into the tomb first. And he lives to the ripe old age of 80-something. Mm-hmm. And so for those guys, I don't know how real the curse would have been, but they would have had it in the back of their mind. My thought process would be, the I know what's in there. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait to break this seal because if what, and I think that maybe that's another part of it is because they did not have grave robbers had wrong intentions. Yeah, Carter and Carnivon did not. Mm-hmm. They were working in partnership with the with the Egyptian government at this time. The, so the, they were playing. Yeah, ball. they were playing by the rules. The here. artifacts were going to be shared between the Antiquities Museum of England and Egypt. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be showcased to show... I mean, Egypt was a fledgling economic society at this time. This is before um, the dam is built on the Nile River. I mean, you know, this is a place that the future had yet to come. And so you're talking about, you know, a third world economic setup that when England comes flashing the cash in whatever form that it's in, you're willing to listen. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Carnival wanted some antiquities for his own right. Let's let's be honest here. He was going to get some good stuff oh, out sure. of I mean, this. you know, even as noble as oh, yeah, well, yeah, we I don't, think they're intentions. I don't want to brush be, over that. Yeah, there, there's still the treasure hunter portion <laughs> of it there. Oh, absolutely. And he he got to add to his private collection heavily. Carter was doing it for the fame of the archaeological community to get his name, in the, and he did, in the history books forever. And the Egyptian government said, what do we have to lose here? As of right now, it's lost. It's a lost tomb. You guys find it, great. We'll give you, you know, whatever we agree on piecewise. You get to take that with you, but the rest of it goes into our shared antiquities, and it becomes a part of the historical red record for years. Yeah, You know, we I don't, if I'm being honest, I don't believe that the Egyptian government believed that they were actually going to find, because every other tomb that had ever been found was empty. Right. Well, and, okay, so, so let's, let's fast forward here, because we're talking about the Anubis Shrine here. Sure. You know, we're moving through, the the, the seal's broken. Sure. They, they enter in. Here's another issue. I I don't know, I'm just, I I really have a big hangup, I guess, where it's concerned of... If it's there, mm-hmm. maybe it's governmental cover up. Maybe it is. Maybe the government's covering it up, and we'll we'll talk about that here in just a little <laughs> bit in another one of our theories. But Ark of the Covenant, yes, you know, hey, oh my gosh, look at all, and and there there has to be just an overwhelming feel of awe, yes, as you're. Oh gosh, I couldn't that. even imagine. But hey, <laughs> the big stinking golden box yep. in the corner mm-hmm. I, I could be wrong even with an undisturbed tomb that I was the first modern man that was stepping foot into it right as I'm going through there you know I'm Nicholas Cage I'm putting the lamp and the oil it's you know the trails of everything just <laughs> lighting up and I'm seeing all of this stuff right going down through there. My breath's being taken away. I think so. By yes. each thing that's revealed to mm-hmm. me. But the moment that the Ark of the Covenant comes into sight, 
as awesome and as breathtaking as everything else that I've seen in that room, right? That begins to completely and totally dissipate and pale in comparison as to what I have just found. Absolutely. But yet, there's there's nothing going on there. Yep. I mean, okay, hey, the Anubis Shrine, hey, okay, we've got a box here that's close. Now, granted, the measurements are a little bit off. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the rings aren't necessarily in the exact spot where the Bible said it was. <laughs> and Maybe there's more of a cross on top of it instead of the cherubim. Mm-hmm. But yet... And so to me, these are automatic disqualifiers. Yeah, I think it's pretty straightforward what the Ark of the Covenant is. I, I, I mean, you know what I'm trying to say, like the, the record biblically of what it should look like, and mm-hmm. I don't know that that met the criteria. Yeah. And my question is, Ben, is that there's no record historically of Tutankhamun being connected to any sort of Israeli Jerusalem. Right. And why? He's right. a minor pharaoh. Right. The only thing, the only reason we know Tut, other than just being part of the Pharaoh record, we discovered his tomb. tomb. Yeah, we I discovered mean, his tomb. It, it's not one. Of, he's got a cool name. Yeah, Tutankhamun is pretty cool. I mean, you know, but, actually, a really interesting story on that. To distance himself from his father's reign, that was pretty poor. The the, the guy that he followed, he changed his name to reflect the worship of Amun, which is Amon, the yeah. Amun, the, the the major deity of the Egyptians, which is Amun Ra. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and when you put them together, they become the major deity. But his original name was something other than Tutankhamun, mm-hmm. but he changed it to go back because his father had worshipped a minor god. Oh, yeah, interesting. interesting. Yeah. I, I didn't know that until a couple of weeks ago, actually. Cool, very cool. Yeah, so right. uh, yeah. so that, that that gives us just a little bit of a synopsis there. Is there anything that you feel like that we're missing? No, I mean, it's just I think that there's so much that, again, I think people are, it's like if, you and I, we're going to talk about it here in a minute, so I don't want to divulge, but we watch a show, and we we, we have been known to discuss if something, if there is the case where there's a room or a, a box. Yeah, a vault. We're going to assume the first things that we see are going to have some sort I mean, of mysterious... Why are they there? Oh my gosh! Well, it's, it's, it's a version of confirmation bias. Sure. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's when you're looking for something, <laughs> you're everything. You view everything through a lens. Right. Of, if I believe that a certain object is at a certain location, yes. When I get close to that location, everything I see is going to be filtered through that lens. Right. And, I, and I'm a. I use this analogy. Um, I've not been a deer hunter for years. Okay. Not because I don't enjoy it, not because sure. I don't want to. It's just I haven't gone. I have so, never been a deer yeah. hunter. So see, well, I'm, for whatever reason, I just I don't I don't find myself out in the woods. Now, when I did okay. deer hunt, it's amazing when you're setting up there in your tree stand how much everything in the woods sounds like a deer. I got gotcha. you. You're so locked in. On, on the hunt, mm-hmm. you're so locked in on that target that a ground squirrel, <laughs> a rabbit. Right, stuff that obviously are not deer. Wind through the trees, you know, because you you hunt in November. So sure. there's, you know, the, the leaves have fallen, but there's still some that's clinging. Sure. 
everything sounds like a deer. And I mean, you're just, your, your senses are just on high alert. You are keyed in. Everything becomes about that deer. I think it's the same thing when we're dealing with like confirmation bias, the sure. things that we're looking for. So yeah, you're right. Everything's going to start looking like the, the grail, the arc, right? The things yeah, that the spear of destiny, sure. That, the you things know, that are unexplained and that have not just mon- monetary intrinsic value, but Lord have mercy, otherworldly value. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah, it really is. And I think for me, that's the one thing with Tut's tomb is that, it's such an easy place to say, oh, well, gosh, that'd been a great place to put the ark. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, a, a box. Whoa. Yeah. Maybe this is that. Well, and I think that people have grasped for straws so much in this instance. Yes. That the uh, the box mm-hmm. has been theorized that it was redesigned, that it is the Ark of the Covenant, but they didn't want people knowing that hmm. it was the Ark of the Covenant. So they smelt. I turned. I turned. I turned into gold member <laughs> off of Austin Powers. It's gold. I love the touch of it. Smell of it. You know. That's so, pretty good, actually. Yeah. So you know <coughs> that they they smelted it. You know they smelted it down. Re- Recast. Recast it as Anubis. Yeah, as the Anubis shrine. Yeah. I mean, it's just it would be a great story. Yeah. But I just think you're trying too hard, way too hard, to make that true. Yeah, and again, I think it's one of those things that if it was a possession, of let's say it's let's say that you do have the Ark of the Covenant, and you're the Egyptian royal court, and you have a minor pharaoh. For number one, why are you burying the Ark anyway? Number two, why are you burying it with this guy? Yeah. Why don't you wait until your next great pharaoh comes along and say, oh, well, now if we want to bury it with somebody, let's bury it with this guy. Yeah, yeah, especially, and we don't have time to go into it now, so we won't, but when you get into the Egyptians' thoughts on the afterlife. Absolutely, um, that's where the you, key is. You know, because a lot of people would just say, well, they put it in the place where people would least expect it, a minor pharaoh. No, 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 that's, no, that's, that's... way out of bounds <laughs> for the Egyptian afterlife <laughs> stuff. You would not have even thought no, of doing something. Like no, that. they were they were there. It was a full preparation. I mean, like they. I mean, obviously the pyramids are still standing. I mean, these people they put a little plan. They did. It was stuff. not just oh, Bob passed away. We got to. It's, it's yeah. not my carpentry skill. Yeah, we, throwing these. Yeah, we need to hurry up and together. get a, something <laughs> slung together here. No, this was. I, I mean, you know, some of the pharaohs were sixty years in planning their afterlife journey. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I th- they I th- would start the planning when they were very young men yeah. who had just who were even in line. I, I I find the the part that I find the most fascinating is that the carvings, the carvings that would walk the pharaoh on their journey through night, and and it's it's interesting again Christianity and, and how the different things come into play, but. All the pharaohs would die at at nighttime, and then they would rebirth with the rising of Amon mm-hmm. or Ra um, during the day. But these their 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 tombs would be laden with these carvings all over the tomb. And what I found so fascinating about it was that there would be a carver for the hands. Yeah. There would be a carver for the faces because just like all of us, we specialize in certain things. And so some people were better 
at Carving Faces, and you didn't just get Joe Schmo Carver guy off the street. This was the best the, carver the top, in Egypt. Yeah. yeah. This was the best the face carver in Egypt. This was the best hand carver. In, and then you had the best painters came along that went back in and painted those things in. And I find it also fascinating that they had a master sculptor who was in charge of it all, and there actually the master would come in and read and make corrections for the stone carvers. And in a lot of the tombs, some of the reds still visible where the master was making corrections and the guy died. Yeah. And they're like, hey, we got to bury him. We can't make these corrections because they only had a limited time to yeah. bury him. And he never, yeah, never finished. And, it. and it's just that, well, that's, that's mind boggling. So yeah. death was not this, oh, we've got this thing. Let's chuck it in here. Yeah. Yeah. We need a place to hide. Yeah. This, that, no. Yeah. That was definitely not going yeah. on. We would, they would. I, I like to think that if any, you either chop it up or you put it on display. Mm-hmm. And I and I and I think the Egyptians, I think any of them, Babylonians, Assyrians, anyone around who ends up with the Ark of the Covenant does one of those two things: you either chop it up and it's gone forever, or you put it up and go, "Hey, this is that thing that the Jews really like." Yeah. Man, let's keep this out yeah, here. Those Jews are weird, you yeah. know. Let's let's put it on display to show our might. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't see it going into a minor pharaoh's right. tomb. That's my opinion. Right. Well, and that's uh, yeah. I paused for a few moments at the beginning of the first, or at the you know the second episode, and just kind of made this disclaimer that you know we we recognize that we are a Bible podcast. Mm-hmm. That's that's what we're built upon, and and this is really not. You know, we're, no. we're not referencing the Bible much, but I do think that this gives us a really, really cool kind of concept and a visual as to how the Bible has played a part Mm -hmm. or been part of history or lore or even myth of cultures that these biblical artifacts. So, you know, when we do say that we're looking beyond the walls, we don't only want to, we we want to look more beyond the walls than just theologically, which we want to do, but we want to look historically and cultural impact and things of that nature. So uh, maybe, maybe that was unnecessary to throw in there, but I just feel like I I want people to understand why we're on this little bit of a rabbit trail that we're (laughs) on with the Ark of the Covenant. So looking as to how church history and how the church has impacted civilization on a global scale, Okay. Um, everything. <laughs> here's the weird part. Everything can be tied back to the church, and how again it's that you know six degrees of separation, sure. or the seven layers of Kevin Bacon, or whatever it's called. <laughs> I don't know, uh, and not directly. So I'm not saying that the church is the epicenter of everything historically that's ever happened, but you'll always find wrinkles that will tie it back. Sure, somehow. I can agree with that. So let's talk. Let's just open the box. I mean, we've okay, we, we're we, there. We've danced around. Yeah, we're on it. the precipice. We've danced around it for four or five episodes now. <laughs> so let's let's open up this Knights Templar box. Here. Oh wow, let's, we've said it. Yeah, it's I officially know. been said. The Illuminati has been notified. <laughs> I'm going to make a triangle of the entire rest of the podcast over <laughs> so, here with my hands. So when they break down the studio yes, door, absolutely, I'm I, protected, and I disappear. <laughs> that's not uh, you're, you're not concerned at all. So there, there's a couple different angles that we can go here. We can go Rosalind Chapel. Okay. We can um, we can look at a secret government facility. Um, you know, as referenced to Nazi, you know, yep. type Germany, Indiana Jones type stuff. Or, or we can go Oak Island. 
I, I love Oak Island. It's one, one of my favorite things that I, I don't know about the, the listeners. I hope that you guys are, but I'm an Oak Island watch, watcher. I've listened to the podcast uh, uh, that you referenced earlier. Astonishing, uh, Astonishing Legends. Legends. They do a four-part. Yes, and it's Oak, fantastic. Oak Island, and that's one of those that I would love to do a series on Oak Island, but after hearing that, I'm like, yeah, can't, I can't touch, touch it. it. I'm just going to direct people to there. Yeah, that and that and it really is. But you know, I think maybe with Solomon's treasure and with um, with the Ark of the Covenant, the the Holy Grail, I think maybe I look at things, and, and maybe it's my pop culture sense or whatever. But I see the tide of world power shifting to the west, mm-hmm. and I see maybe maybe that's because. The artifacts of the old world moved west to be free from the persecution that was happening in Europe, from North Africa, from Central Asia, whatever you want to say. There was a lot of weird stuff going on in those areas of the world from the third, well, from the you know the eleven hundreds on, mm-hmm. you know, and not not a lot of stuff was safe, especially with the Crusades, the Mongols. Uh, the rise and fall of different civilizations and empires as they entered into conflict with one another. Um, I can see, um, and, and they are so strange, the Templars. They they come out of, you know, the Holy Land crusade process mm-hmm. where they, you know, they're they're just they're just nice guys providing safe passage for pilgrims from one land to the next. And just so happened that they create one of the first banks on earth, and yeah. you know they're basically ju- develop. Well, they, yeah. they didn't develop an interest system because that was already around. They, but, they, but they develop credit basically. Right, right, you exactly. know, they, that your signature is worth your value. Mm-hmm. That your seal is worth your value. They they start to protect not just people but money, and not just money but kingdoms, and not just kingdoms but entire fortunes of all, you know, and not just, and and they control like the place where the temple used to be. And and not just, not just fortunes and all of that relics. Sure. Uh, You know, if you had something that you wanted to not fall into the wrong hands, you found some Templars and they were pretty recognizable. Mm -hmm. Who was, who were the Templars commissioned by, by the way? They were charged with defending the pilgrimage Mm -hmm. basically by the Holy Roman Catholic Church, which later becomes the Holy Roman Empire, but I mean it was it was a group of people that had a singular, um, you know, charge, and that singular charge became extremely broad mm-hmm. um, because you know you need access to your fortune as you're fighting the Crusades because the, cru- the military was done so much different at that time. You know, you being a wealthy landowner, you raised an army. It's literally where that terminology comes from. You raise your army, mm-hmm. and I raise my army, and then we follow our glorious leader into battle with our charges behind us, and, and I'm in my full regalia. Mm-hmm. You're in your full, full regalia, and our rabble is behind us. Mm-hmm. Now, so just, just a quick side note yes. here. Um, if you weren't a landowner... How did it go for you with uh, with the military? Okay, so here's how it went for you if you were not a landowner. You 
were working for the landowner. And Ben, my landowner, came and said, hey, Aaron, what's going on? It's time to go to war. And I didn't have any options. Uh, if I didn't go fight for Ben, I probably wouldn't be killed. That was probably about the time where that stuff started to be. But I was going to be thrown off my farm. So my option was either be thrown on my farm and go live destitute poor poverty in the middle of nowhere that I wasn't going to be able to claim as my own anyway, or I go fight for Ben. Mm-hmm. So I go fight for you, and I'm equipped with little more than what I'm wearing and a stick. You, uh, maybe even one of the farm tools. Oh, yeah, yeah, an implement, you, a, yeah, an implement yeah. from the farm probably, unless it was so valuable that the farm couldn't live without, without it. Right. right. Um, but but maybe just a stick I found along the way, and I am. This is part of my liege that I owe to you. My allegiance to you is you let me farm this plot of land. I pay you my taxes in food that I grow. But I also, when you tell me it's time to go war, we go war. Yeah. So it's a it's a very rough draft. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go, a rough draft. Man, <laughs> my pun game but, um, is on point tonight. I'm just saying. <laughs> But, you know, what What was so great about this, if you are one of those war people, is you're going to lands where there's wealth. Mm-hmm. And part of it becomes the spoils of war. And whatever you come across that your liege lord doesn't take, whatever's left over is yours. So if there's a relic, if there's coinage, if there's bullion, hey, is that the right word? Chicken. Not bullion. chicken. Oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. 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 If there's... I don't want to say this too loosely here, but there's booty. Yes. Yeah. Yep. You are, you're a part of that gathering process. So it, it was a, it was a win-win situation, but as for the Lords and their passage from point A to point B, they had and, to and have just a, to give you a visual, ladies and gentlemen, we are standing next to a wall and, <laughs> and Aaron has a map yeah, in, bra- in my brain, in yeah, my brain. He, he is pointing at this. <laughs> so it, this is fantastic. As they go from point A to point B though, they have to have access to their money mm-hmm. and therefore the Templars come into play yes. as the, basically the ATMs of the day. Mm-hmm. I, you signed Ben James to the uh, to the little signature paper. It says I owe you, and I pay to get my guys fed for that day off the Templar wealth that is traveling along with us. They they give you safe passage if you're traveling in small groups because you may have only been a band of six dudes that are going from A to B to go then help fight with the main forces. Six guys on some really rugged roads is not enough unless you're escorted with people who are really, really handy with some steel. bad dudes. And, and they have pool in the region. Mm-hmm. That's another aspect of it. The Templars lived there. They lived in that point A to point B region. They were not foreigners. They were, they were the power structure. They're fascinating. I mean, they just really are. And, and, and it's, it's, it's all revolving around the Holy Land's and this is the point where there's the three religion infiltration at this point. It's not just Judaism. It's not just Christianity. There's Islam. And now we're bringing in all of these mixed cultures. And everybody's fighting for the validity of their own religion, the validity of supremacy. And relics are passing from hand to hand, and people don't know what's going where. It's a very fascinating thing. And so... If I'm the Templars and I start to rise to power, what have I done to myself? I've put a target on my back, number one. 
number two, I've also increased my own, you know, financial standing in regards to Europe. If I put a target on myself and I've and I've gathered large sums of money, and all of Europe and all of Central Asia and all of North Africa know about me and are aware of my dealings, I can't go to Russia. Mm-hmm. I can't go on the step, on the Eurasian step. Yeah. I'm not going to China. Right. No, no. I, I literally only have one way. Yeah. I've backed myself up to the ocean. I've backed mm-hmm. myself up to Scotland, Roslyn Chapel. Yep. I've backed myself up to France. The English Channel is at my back. I, I, I've gone to great lengths to maybe get to Portugal. I've maybe gone up to Scandinavia. But other than that, I, I'm looking across the sea, yeah. and I'm saying, okay, I've got, I can stay here, which for those of you who know about the Friday the 13th, um, you know, 1307. Why, yeah, yeah, why that is a date that we even have now, why that is a day, you know, it's not Jason Voorhees. I was going to say, it's a, it's a horror flick, right? Yeah, it's a horror flick, but that's not where Friday the 13th oh, originates okay. from. Yeah. It's because on Friday the 13th in, in the year 1307, the Templars in Europe were rounded up and murdered yeah. by the Catholic Church. Uh, papal decree. Yes, papal decree. This was the Pope came out and said, oh, these are heretical men. Yeah. Which there were some politics behind that. Oh, absolutely. So, but, but, but there's we, politics we, behind most everything. We, we, we won't understand. I mean, that I think right that now. we have pointed out that the, the Templars may have started out with, you know, intrinsic religious uh, overtones, but they turned quickly into a political they, force. They were, let's, let's not, uh, let's not force piety. No, no, no. Yeah. By no yeah. means. Yeah. And, and, and again, and I think, you know, even the Crusades in themselves, may have had a legitimate religious purpose, but when you're talking about the spoils of war, unfortunately, folks, that becomes a very nasty thing. Yeah. I, I mean, the spoils of war are not just monetary. Yeah. They're not just um, coinage. They're not just lands and relics. There's a lot of people that are affected by the spoils of war. So as we're as we're pushing, you know, that, that October 13th, 1307, sure. um, there's papal decree, they're gathered mm-hmm. up... Uh, Basically, they'd gotten too powerful. Sure, the, you the became a major target. Yeah, you you become too powerful. You had too much money. You had too much influence. Mm-hmm. You possibly had too many relics uh, that were way too way too significant right. for one organization to have their hands on. Basically, what I believed happened was one organization, which was the Roman Church, mm-hmm. had the majority of the power. Yes. Throughout Central Europe, for sure. Yeah. So now there's a new kid on the block mm-hmm. here that that you created, that you created, <laughs> that may be hanging tough. <laughs> oh, 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 oh! It is twelve thirty at night, ladies and gentlemen. And it is starting to show. <laughs> but so there's got to be something done here. There can't be there you can't can. be two powers here. So right. the one that's still a little bit more powerful still goes goes ahead and makes that step. And it was and, easy for them because they tied it to heresy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one has divinity and that power on their side and literally let's just put it the truth, they had the lay people, they had the common people, the Catholic Church had the common people on their side. Whatever the pope decreed mm-hmm. was law. And so, you know, it's not hard to sell that these... That's where it goes. Yeah, it's okay, not hard boom. to sell the Templars yeah. that as heretics and heretical. So they 
the the surviving members yes. of the Knights Templar they flee, which obviously all of us would have done. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's not that they were, you know, Monty Python running away, are we? It's, it's not that. Just a flash wound. Just a flash wound. Uh, it, it's not you know any type of reflection on them, no. cowardice, no. anything like that. It was a necessity. Sure. You it, only have one option: survival, one. necessity. Uh, you know, the necessitation of fleeing was exactly what they had to do to survive. Um, basically, their first destination, historically accurate, Scotland. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's where the Roslyn Chapel mm-hmm. comes in. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time here just yet. We may break it down. We may break Roslyn Chapel down in, a, in another of the never-ending number of episodes <laughs> that we're going to have regarding the Ark of the Covenant. But let's let's get them over to Oak Island. Okay. Let's let's number one, why would they go to Oak Island? Well, I think it's because unfortunately I don't believe Christopher Columbus was the first person. What? I'm, I'm just saying. Pre Columbian. I'm just saying I'm just saying I don't think fourteen ninety two was the first time Europeans had seen I think that Columbus is an intriguing story in its own right. We could have a whole other show about that. Mm-hmm. But I think that people have been transnavigating the globe for a long time. Oh, yeah. I think it's a convenient way to teach history to third graders to talk about Columbus. And mm-hmm. he and he is a very important figure because he opens it up to a new, um, I, I hate to say a new world because that's kind of <laughs> cliche, but he does. I yeah. mean, he brings it into a modern time period. Because we'll just, we'll just air quote new well, world. Well, I mean, let's just be honest here. Open oceanic travel was probably not how the people were going pre-Columbus. True. Okay. So what Columbus did was revolutionary because I don't think that's how people did it in the past. Mm-hmm. I think that people use Greenland and, and Iceland and, 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 and they use the currents to lead them to these other lands. And Nova Scotia is the next logical place that you are going to bounce to and then back from as you go back across the uh, Atlantic Ocean. Yes. So, Nova Scotia, for those of you who don't know, Nova Scotia is up there towards the Canadian provinces. I'm not exactly sure which one it's in because I'm not a Canadian. Well, Nova Scotia means... Isn't it New Scotland? New Scotland. Yeah. Right. Okay. But, I mean, like, it's kind of its own land, right? Isn't Nova Scotia its own provincial thing? Well, I mean, I'm the We may have to completely edit all this out because I don't... I'm the fact checker model 1000. So we're significantly downgraded here. But so Nova Scotia is the mainland and Oak Island is one of the islands that is surrounding this uh, bay um, there up in Nova Scotia. Um, The significance of Oak Island is that for basically 500 years, people have thought there has been something weird about Oak Island, um, which puts the Templars in play because if you rewind the clocks, essentially 500 years, you're into the 14, going back into the 1300s, um, which is the time of the of the Templar diaspora, which I don't know if that's even how you could consider because they're not technically a people's, but a club that has been disbanded, let's put it that way, and they're looking for a new home. Um but I think that they ran as far away from the Roman Catholic Church as they could, 
and that would have been to the one place where the Roman Catholic Church had zero influence, which was the new the New World, the Americas. And I think the the bouncing of navigation off of the smaller islands and the you know the larger places that people knew all about Greenland and Iceland. Mm-hmm. And so the the thought of using them to go out into the open ocean would have been not at all this foreign idea because people were interacting with these people. They, they were there. They knew about them. Um, and so for them to then continue on to Nova Scotia um, would have been the next logical process because I still have to get away from Europe. Yeah. And, and the Roman Catholic Church had no reason to follow them as long as they thought that there was no reason to follow them. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. If you think you've wiped out the majority and they're not a threat, and then, okay, if they want to run across the ocean, fine. We're the Roman Catholic Church. We are secure here. Run away. Yeah. This this brings up a question in my mind though, okay. that I want to pose to you. They got to Nova Scotia. Sure. I have no issue with that. Sure. I think it's a I think it's a no brainer. Okay. In my opinion, um, I think that pre Columbian explore, exploration we know happened. I think that pre Columbian discovery of, oh, yeah. of the Americas was <laughs> was most definitely a reality. Mm-hmm. The question that I need answered in okay. my mind is, how did they get the ark? Because you've got to connect the ark into the possession of the Templars. Now, I'm not I'm not talking about an org chart here. Of <laughs> it, it went from here to here to here right. to here to here. It, it, is it within the relics that they were in charge of? Did they know, were they guardians? Because, I mean, you know, again, going to reference a Indiana Jones movie mm-hmm. here, they were protectors of the Holy Grail. Um, are... Did they have charge of these sacred objects? That that's the question that my mind. I think that that's probably where my thoughts would lead. Is that um, I've always heard that there was the siege of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. and was that like two hundred, hundred and eighty? Again, I'm not a historian by right. any means, but I know the siege of Jerusalem happens, and that um, towards the end of it, there is the. You know, we're running out of food. We've been under siege for 200 and some days. Um, bad things are getting ready to happen. And supposedly these relics are taken down the mountainside in the dark of night and whisked away, so to speak. And, and the, within the tunneling systems underneath sure, Jerusalem. Sure, and, and put in places. And then so one of the things that the Templars do is they build but they don't just build up. They build down. Yep. And they build down in very cavernous ways. Yep. Randomly, almost, in some of the places in the Holy Lands that the Templars are credited with building, they're building in places that don't make a lot of sense. And the the facade and the inner workings don't match. Mm-hmm. Yep. Kind of like Rosalind Chapel, Rosalind Chapel. Yeah. where you have this, you know, Middle of the road, not not a cathedral by any means of the heights of like you know in the French countrysides or in large cities throughout Europe where the cathedrals were sprawling and their their naves were measured in in stories. It's a simple little chapel, and yet 
It's got some of the most famous Templars connected to it. It's got people credited like the St. Clair family Saint as Clair the builders. All over it, right. And, and it's got Templar artwork. It's got Templar imagery. I'm just saying, you know, you're charged, you're given validation by the Catholic Church, the most powerful entity on earth during this time period. And they say, do whatever you need to do to establish your dominance. And you, within a 50-year period, rise to the most dominant subgroup of people on the planet, not just not just militarily, not just impactfully as in I can come into a region and impact that region, but financially as well. Maybe you found something. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. you found something to where people are like, oh, we have to start paying attention to these guys for some reason. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's it's hinted at. Maybe I don't I don't know, Ben. Yeah. I don't know if they were charged with it. I don't know if they found it. I don't I don't understand. If I was the Catholic Church and I had a chance to just go ahead and get the ark and display it or put it up to where I could control it for the rest of eternity, I think they probably would have. So I'm I'm assuming they probably weren't given charge. Yeah. I'm assuming if it's up to me that a discovery was made, um, it either was discovered by someone else and changed hands to the Templars or the Templars themselves discovered it and through the discovery made themselves very powerful. Mm -hmm. But I don't think the Catholic Church would have known about it because if it did leave the mainland, the continent of Europe, they would have sought it. Yeah. Yeah. Very heavily. Right. And I don't think they would have killed the Templars I think we would have just, they would have vanished. I don't think there would have been a Friday the 13th. I think it would have been a complete absorption. Yeah. You have this thing, we want it. You don't even exist. You you just, you just cease to be. Mm-hmm. But instead, it was a very publicized thing. Yeah. The, dis, the you know, their, their dis, um, I hate to say dismemberment, but their dismemberment from figuratively literally, and literally yeah. from the Catholic Church was a very publicized and, you know, um, pointed thing that the church did to be rid of these guys. I don't, I think if they had that and you knew that they had it, I don't think it would have been very publicized. I think it would have been just like, man, oh, I remember them. It's more than those guys. There's, um, you know, we won't go a whole lot into Rosalind Chapel at this point. Sure, don't, yeah, yeah. We'll get there here in a little bit. And, And actually, one of the theories that we're not even going to cover uh, but I will throw out here now because there's, I mean, you could you could never do enough podcasts. I don't think to cover no. all the theories. Well, there's been the a thousand of them that have been yeah. thrown out. There. Um, but one of the theories is that it's still within the vaults in the Vatican, uh, and and it very well may right. be. But but, it, but my thing is is that I think you would have publicized. Yeah. That. Well, and it's been reported for whatever this carries water. You mm-hmm. know, it's been reported by the Vatican time and time and time and time and again that it's not here. Yeah. We don't have it. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Come again. We don't <laughs> we don't have this. So I, I guess that, you know, like I said, we're not going to try to do a history of Oak Island or the events or the exploration sure. or um, any of that because like I said, the guys at Astonishing Legends just knocked that yeah, thing out of the park. Go 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 listen to that. Um, I, I I guess my question is is do you feel like and Maybe we're blowing the theories section here, 
But do you feel like the Ark of the Covenant is on Oak Island? Gosh, I hope so. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I put a me whole too. lot of time yep. into Oak Island. Um, I don't know. I think it's probably the confirmation bias with Oak Island is that, you know, you find the Spanish piece of eight in the middle of the swamp, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that means something, and it probably doesn't. It probably means that there was pirate activity all over the Nova Scotia area. Which is proven. Yeah. Which is proven. And that Oak Island happened to be one. I think that the British probably use it as a stopping point during some of the wars they fought in the Americas. There's, there's, They discovered all kinds of British soldier uh, and British Army regalia uh, throughout their discoveries last year. But, man, there's a whole lot of coincidences of why that doesn't make any sense. If you read the original story about the young boys who saw the weird lights, Mm -hmm. went to the island, saw the depression in the land, and began digging and ran into, after 10 feet, the crossed boards. And then they go down 10 more feet, and there's more. Which, to some people, is a naturally occurring thing. Yeah, I guess because they were cut boards that don't go underground, but sure. Ten feet. Ten what? feet Ten on feet. purpose. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just too random. Yeah. And, and and I don't know. I wish we had the stone that was found, the 90-foot stone. I wish yeah. we know what it said. I wish we know exactly what was on but it. But let's just take it out and display it on a fireplace. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like there's just too much going on. There's too much, and and for me, one of the most fascinating things for the Templar myth, and for the Templar mythos of the whole thing, was the the native people of Nova Scotia, how they had an insignia, that had been one thing their entire existence, and then all of a sudden it includes a Templar cross. Plot twist. And it's right in the middle of their history. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know how you explain that away. I mean, obviously, something happened for them to include that. Would it have been that the Templars made landfall and interacted with these folks and they were kind to them? Or they, they said, hey, this is some neat stuff we have. You guys should try some of this. And and they just openly traded with one another. And they were like, okay, you guys made it a huge impact on our world. We're going to honor you by taking this weird cross that you guys use which is not the Catholic Church's cross, it's the Templar cross, and we're going to incorporate it into our own insignia and we're going to make it a part of our drawings and our cave markings and stuff that we do from here on out. To me, that's that's that to me that's to not be, accidental. That man. has to be more than a passing relationship, yes. though. I mean, that has to be... All throughout history, you have nations trading with each other. You have nations building relationship and, and, and entering into agreements and pacts and... But you don't see them going, hey, we're going to put your symbol <laughs> in on, our thing, yeah. in my history, <laughs> yeah. in my culture, on my flag, in everything from yep. this point out. That's more than just a trading relationship. Yeah, there, there's something to it, man. And that's just the thing is that I don't think the Templars did anything accidentally. I think that they probably had an idea that this time was coming. I think for all the historical things I've ever read about the Friday the 13th massacre is that the reason why more of them did not get this was because they kind of read the yeah. tea leaves yeah. and they made their their movements prior to this. Mm-hmm. I think that they were, and it may have already been sent, whatever they were sending, whatever that treasure was. It may have not included the art, but what if it was you know hundreds of millions of dollars? 
and it was on its way already, and then the Templars came behind it. I, I, I don't know, but I just think that Oak Island itself is such a mysterious thing. Um, and it's it's 140 acres. Yes, that's it. That's it. It's not like we're talking about. Yeah, we've got farms here that are bigger yeah, than that. Yeah. <laughs> not us. No, no, uh, I, I know what I'm just saying. Not the, us, but the, the, the people, people, people just, here. And, and but but my mind when I hear that, when I hear it's 140 acres and it's been excavated. Yep. For hundreds of years yep. now. But yet there's still pieces of that puzzle. Yep. That they can't find. There are still parts of that nutshell that they cannot yep. crack. Hundreds of years, well over a year per acre. Oh yeah, of excavation, of exploration, and of discovery, and billions of, of dollars. dollars that yeah. have been spent trying to uncover the mystery. So you know, it's either the most ingenious ruse. That has encapsulated so many people, uh, including President Franklin Delano yeah, Roosevelt, yeah, FDR, um, and and multiple. And, and you know these guys are there now. They've they've spent their their livelihood and their fortune on this thing. Uh, uh, and and I, that's what's so fascinating to me is how many of these people have gone bankrupt with just the sheer belief that they were doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah. that and they know something's there. Here's I, yeah. Here's the thing with the one of the most elaborate ruses ever concocted. (laughs) Here's the problem that I have with that, because I know that that is a very predominant theory, because Mm -hmm. just as there is the podcast that we keep talking about that did such an amazing exposition of what Oak Island is, there's also the, uh, I think, the Mad Scientist podcast, which goes to naturally prove everything that's (laughs) happening at Oak Island. The coconut fibers, they drifted against the current. Yeah, it's, it's, it's... yeah. To me personally, whether the Ark of the Covenant is there or not, and I will go on record as saying that I do not believe that it is on Oak Island. That's not to say that I don't believe that it has never been on Oak Island. Okay, I could agree with that statement. I don't believe it's there currently. No. I don't think, because you're talking about people here who were, they were surviving at this point. Were they strategic? Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe the most strategic people did, on the planet. Is did the they develop things to get people off of their tracks? Absolutely. Absolutely they did. But we're talking about one of, like you said, if it's a ruse, it is the most elaborate ruse. And if right. you have people in survival mode, people that are trying to establish, they're, they're putting down new roots yep. here is what they're doing. I think it's just far too elaborate for it to be get them off of my trail. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just don't. See yeah, you, that. you don't go into the, the, the many works that they have discovered. Yeah, the box drains and the things of that nature that that are totally provable. Yeah, the possibility that the swamp is a manufactured Man-made swamp tra- that, yeah. that that the island itself was, was separate yep. and that they made the swamp to fill in the the missing gap and that at the bottom of the swamp there is a a ship a ship, a ship that is buried a, a, a there a ship <laughs> <laughs> i mean and that to me is probably 
and and I, and obviously Marty and and those guys are are way smarter, and they've he's referring to the Lagina brothers. Oh yes, and yeah. their partners Marty and Rick Lagina that, that are, they're currently <laughs> and, and have been. They're they're the the stars of history, sure. uh, the History Channel. Well, you know, Dan Blankenship's the guy who's in his mid nineties, and yep. he's been there since the sixties. He yep. was there with Roger Dunfield and or Richard Dunfield, one of the Dunfields. Yep. I mean, you talk about six degrees of separation. Dan Blankenship can connect himself all the way back to the beginning from, from all the people who have, who have worked on it. He's six degrees separated from the people who originally dug. Yeah. That's pretty fascinating. Yeah. I think two of the things that, that most intrigued me about it is I don't know again, if it's necessarily the arc, I don't know if what treasure the, the gentleman who was the former slave who had bought, I, I wish I could think of his name, but he had bought a plot of land on Oak Island. You know, recently freed. He was a freed slave. Sure. This was in the 1700s. I mean, this yep. wasn't like post-Civil War. Right, he right, made yeah. his way north. Yeah, to Nova Scotia. You know, I think he was actually a northern slave. Yes, he was. From in like the Boston area and yes. had bought his freedom. Yes. And had and made his way up the Nova Scotia coastline, and again, you know, black and white issues being what they were, native versus you know, Im, you know, immigrant issues being what they were at this time. He kind of needed to go to where he could be by himself, so he chose a plot on Oak Island. And now, now, I think they said he he farmed like carrots and and radishes. Samuel Ball. Samuel Ball, and he was a radish and carrot farmer, mm-hmm. and in in a very harsh climate, mm-hmm. very salty. You know, we've talked about the island being yep. only 140 acres, and all of a sudden, Samuel Ball on his uh, on his uh, radish and carrot fortune buys up half the island of Oak Island and uh, plots all over the mainland of Nova Scotia on his fortune of carrots and radishes. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ben, that tells me that there may have been something that Samuel Ball found. And just starts paying for everything in gold. Cash and gold. gold Yeah, yeah, gold gold currency. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I I don't know. There's something there. There there is. Or Or there there was. was. Yeah. Yeah. To me, that's that's where I Probably. Unfortunately, Uh, probably that's the answer is that there was. Right. Right, you know, and that's that's where Eileen, and it's not even just come on Eileen. That's 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 where I, <laughs> yeah, that's where I Dexy uh, would be proud. Yeah, in yeah, in the midnight. <laughs> so we're, we'll we'll wrap this one up here, and we're not we're by no means done with no. the Templars, and there may be more. Ever, and you, you and know, I can just talk about Oak Island until tomorrow. Right, right, and there may be more references. Kind of is tomorrow, yeah. Right? yeah. There, there'll be more references to Oak Island as we go along because, like I said, we're going to talk about Rosalind Chapel. We're mm-hmm. going to talk about a couple other things. And coming up in our next Theories and Locations episode, we we will get out there just a little bit. Not We're, we're going to be referencing things that are out there. We're going to you know talk about uh, the Lima tribe mm-hmm. who actually can genetically trace themselves back to... The tribes of Israel, the twelve tribes of Israel. Um, we're also going to be talking about gentlemen. I don't know why we're doing all this talking, Aaron. I really don't, because I like to talk, man. Oh, I do too. But <laughs> a guy's already found the Ark of the Covenant. That's true. I forgot about that. Yeah, I went. I visited his website on your uh, the, yeah. on your uh, uh, heads up. Actually, let me tell the listeners just in case that they were wondering. Hang on, I'm going to tell you what all he's found. Because he actually has on his drop down menu mm-hmm. says the discoveries. Yeah. 
Are you ready? Yes. Noah's Ark. Yes. Sodom and Gomorrah. Yes. The Red Sea Crossing. Yes. Mount Sinai. Yes. The Ark of the Covenant. Yes. And how the pyramids were built. Yes. Discovered all those things. Yes. Done. And we'll also, I don't know why he's leaving them out at the end, right. but he he found, um, and, and spoiler alert. Oh, don't. Don't spoil it. Okay, go ahead. Spoil okay. it. You've already said spoiler alert, so you, you've hipped oh, him to Do it. I have to go into it now? Yeah. I, no, no, I'm no. Contractually No, you went into right it. Now. Yeah. <laughs> he found Golgotha. Oh, there you go. The hill of the skull where Jesus was crucified. Yeah, no big uh, deal. So, you know, that's no he uh he found Jesus's blood too. Oh. So, we're going to leave you with that right there. Next episode, we will give you some more information on this. So, guys, thank you for joining us. Until next time, be blessed. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Beyond the Walls podcast with your host Ben James. If you would like to know more, give feedback. You can email us at beyondthewallspodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check back soon for more Beyond the Walls podcasts.